0: Go ahead and turn your Bibles. That is Exodus 20. And please do me a favor and turn and put a tassel in 1 Kings 11. This is not my words, not the um, quality of the sermon, but the text and the message is, I believe, one of the most important messages that a believer will ever hear and so I know that we have a nap coming maybe and I know we have the last day of the weekend and we have fish that we might smell in a few minutes and we're excited for it all but I need you to block out everything because what you're about to hear from God's word and hopefully the spirit through me is essential for your well-being And so I don't care how old you are, if you brought a Bible or not, look on with somebody else. For my kids, stop drawing and coloring and open up a Bible. I want you to see God's Word. Go to Exodus 20. And so if you have not been here, we're in a year of Exodus. God has been so good to us in this Word. We have seen His Word really just pop and understand what He's doing in this Old Testament story. We find ourselves in chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments. We kind of set the tone last week. We kind of laid a foundation, and we're we're jumping into really the, the first commandment and the second and third this morning. So if you have not been here or you have forgotten where we are, I just want you to picture in your mind, God has stopped the journey. He has stopped the excursion. The Israelites are in front of Mount Sinai. The place is in flames. It is covered in smoke. They are waiting to hear what God says. Do you hear it? They are tired. They are hungry. They are thirsty. They are confused. One minute they love Moses, the next they hate him. Moses is strong one minute, he's weak the next minute. God stops him in his tracks and he says, I'm about to speak to man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being newly free? You're frustrated, you're lost, you don't really know what you're doing, you're, you're physically homeless. And God, the creator of all things says, I am about to speak. I'm sure these men and women We're on the edge of their seats. Can you imagine such a moment? Now look at Exodus 20, 1 through 3. This is what God has to say. And God spoke all of these words saying this. Will you highlight two and three? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You once were a slave, and now you are free, not because of anything that you have done, because I've chosen to free you. Three, highlight it. Do whatever you got to do. You shall have no other gods before me. I just want to take a second, guys. There's nothing more important than you're going to hear right now. The mountain's on flames. It's covered in smoke. The audience is tired. God says, I'm going to speak. They're on the edge of the seats. Even the children are quiet. No babies are crying. Like, what is God going to say? And what does he say? You shall have no other gods before me. When you were younger, or maybe even today, do you remember or do you have in your own home A lot of family meetings? Do you have a lot of family gatherings where you pull everybody to the kitchen table and go, hey guys, we need to talk for a second? Do you have a lot of those? You don't have to have kids. It could be a memory of how you grew up if you don't have them today. It could be husband and wife or it might even be the work, the boss and and the staff meeting. I didn't grow up with a lot of that. I didn't have a lot of strong leadership in my home, but I have a lot of them today because I got a lot of things to say. And there's a lot of times where we had this island in my kitchen and and if I see something that I don't like or I do like, I'll call everybody down. And so upstairs and in the basement, I'll go, hey guys, come on up, come on down. Everybody sit at the island. Your father is about to speak, right? There's a lot of family gatherings in my home. I kind of see the Ten Commandments as that moment. We often have them for a few reasons. It might be behavior. I might sit my kids down, all four of them, from Lila to Liam, and I go, hey, guys, there's something I'm seeing. Parents, you ever say that? Like, I don't really like how you're treating your sisters, or I don't like how you're treating your brother, or like the words that you're saying or the things that you're thinking, or I'll say something like this is what we're not going to do, and this is what we are going to do. We have those a lot. They would probably say too much. It might be to explain something or to teach something. We have moments where we sit around the island and I'll go, Guys, I want you to look into the world. I want you to look into what you're seeing, your school, your friends, your f- whatever it is. I want to explain to you what this is, if it's good or if it's not. Maybe it's faith. Maybe we'll gather everybody around and we'll have a Bible study. But just like we read to you in God's word from our spiritual father, most of the time I pray that when I gather my kids and my bride together, I pray for whatever reason I do it, that it's profitable, right? And so when they're all sitting there, it usually starts very serious because there's this sense in the room of what is my father about to say? And so there is a big difference in all four of my children. From Lila to, to Lennon to... London to Liam there's a lot of differences they have different languages of which they hear they have preferences they have behaviors and moods and things that work with one and don't work with the other but when dad calls them down to the kitchen table they all act the same and that is quiet you know why because everybody is thinking what's my father about to say is it me have i done something One brother will look at the other like, I don't think I've done something. Have you done something? I bet that it's Lila, right? And Lila says, even if it's me, he's not going to do anything to me, right? (laughs) So everybody's quiet. Everybody's wondering, like, is this about behavior? Is this about teaching? Is this about faith? What is my father about to say? (sighs) This moment in Exodus 20, I see it as that moment. I see the people walking, and they're tired, and they're confused, and they're elated. They just walked through water, and now they're complaining about being thirsty. They're up, and they're down, and they're down, and they're up, and the father stops everybody. He says, hey, listen, everyone come to the kitchen island. I'm about to speak, and everybody goes, hey, is it me? What is my father about to say, and if you have family meetings or staff meetings or husband and wife, whatever your conversation looks like, usually what comes out of the speaker's mouth carries the heaviest weight. I'm not gonna lead in with something that doesn't matter. Like when they sit down and they're on the edge of their seats, I'm gonna bring to them why I called them to listen. This is what's most important, this is what is primary, this is what I need you to hear and what does God say You shall have no other gods before me You shall have no other gods before me It is the first thing the first command that he says to the people You shall have no other gods before me keep reading You shall not make for yourself any carved images any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor shall you serve them. For I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me, And keep my commandments. So I love this. God opens. I want you to see it. I want you to slow down for a minute. God says, I'm about to hit you with primary. I am about to speak about priorities. I'm about to speak about behavior and relationships. And I'm going to speak to you about what's going to spiritually and physically keep you alive. Well, what do you have to say? You shall have no other gods before me. And one thing that I want you to see, because this is how our human minds work, what is he open with? That's not the first thing that comes out of his mouth. He doesn't say, hey, guys, I'm a jealous God. Keep me first. That's not what he says. He reminds them of who the speaker is. So I sit in front of my kids and I go, hey, listen, um, before I come at you with what I have on my mind and heart, like understand who I am. This is my home. This is my marriage I pay the bills, right? The food you eat is because I worked and I bought it, right? And so what does God say? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And so this reminds me very much, you don't have to flip, this reminds me very much of what we see in the seven churches and what God says through John in Revelation. So God is going to come to Seven literal churches. And he's about to get the same kind of message. Like, these are hard words. Like, this is what I see in you. And this is what it's going to bring either blessings or destruction. But in each church, he opens with understanding who the author is, who the speaker is. Just listen. It says in the corrupt church, These things says the Son of God who has an eye of a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. In the dead church, these things says who is the servant of the Spirit of God and who holds all seven stars in his hand. In the faithful church, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who is perfect, he who has the keys of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. In Laodicea, the lukewarm church, before he hits them with their life, he says these things says the amen. The faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So God says, before I speak to you about life, understand who speaks. Do you know why? Because man's heart and mind, when anyone, even God himself, steps forward and says, Hey, Brandon, I want to speak to you about what's most important. What does the human mind and heart say? Who do you think you are to speak to me? Like, who are you to tell me how I should live and think and behave? And God goes, I'm going to beat you to the punch. Like, before you ask me who I am, let me tell you who I am. I am the God who freed you. The only reason you breathe is because I allow it. You cannot be saved, you cannot be set free, you are not given life by anything that you do, anything you think, your last name, how much money you give, what you think. It is all because I have allowed it. So as I hit you with life, understand who speaks. This sin, this problem of placing other things or people or ideas or desires ahead of God has existed way before Exodus and continues to exist way after. So during the time of Exodus, what did we see? Really the Old Testament in general and new. People used to bow down and worship almost in every book of of kings and rulers and princesses and prince. They used to worship power and the concept of authority and gold and diamonds We just saw in Exodus with Pharaoh, they would worship all these mythological deities. And as we went through each and every plague, you remember that that sermon of God saying, hey, if you want frogs, I'm going to let you drown in them. You remember that one? People all throughout history has fallen and drowned in the sin of idolatry. Let's see if I don't give you page four real quick. Think I kept that in order. This idea of idol worship or idolatry is literally defined as the extreme. How like that in your mind? Idolatry, the sin that cripples the heart, is the extreme admiration, the extreme love, the extreme reverence for someone or something else. So we have this moment in Exodus 20. Hang with it, church where God gathers the kids around the kitchen island. And he says, listen, the things that I'm about to tell you, murder is awful. Murder is awful. The taking of a human life. What could be worse? He says adultery is hard to rebound. It's hard to find reconciliation when you, when you break such a trust. He says to steal... To take something from someone else breaks relationships that are, that are hard to mound together. But there is nothing, God says, there is nothing more important, more essential, and potentially more dangerous than where you place me in your life. More than murder, more than marriage, more than parenting, more than... Whatever it is in your life that I'm about to speak about... He says, there is nothing more essential, more important, and potentially more destructive than where you place me in your life. If you're a note taker, everything begins and everything ends with what you worship. Everything. And you go, well, I don't know. You haven't dug deep enough. Blessings. God's favor in your life. If you dig enough, you will find who's first. Just dig. Blessings in God's favor begins with God being first. So when I look at my life and I see the blessings of my life, if I get a spiritual shovel out and I start digging, do you know what I'll find? That the reasons that I've experienced blessings is because the Lord is the God of my life in that area. The same thing with destruction destruction begins and ends with God being placed anywhere but first in your life. Like an onion, I want you to peel it back, and what you'll find is when you get to the root of your blessings and destruction, you will find your God. It's an experiment. Think about marriage. I can't tell you how many countless hours I've gone through marriage counseling with people in the secular world, and then also the spiritual, in the church. I have sat with people with every issue, and people will sit with me. They're like, Hunter, you know, no, it's not, quote, it's not a God issue. Because I've stopped all the funny like mess of, like, you need to spend more time together. No, no, everything's a Jesus issue. Everything. I don't care how many date nights you have, okay? It can be Monday through Sunday. If you don't make God king, you will always fail, so I sit with them, and you know what they tell me? Literally, verbatim. Hunter, listen, it's not a God thing. We have a communication problem. We have an intimacy problem. We have a spending issue. We have an in law problem. We have a parenting disagreement. And you know what? Yes. We're all unique and we're all different. and We all have different languages and preferences, just like my children. But you dig deep enough and we're all going to hit the same rock. And that is who is king? Who is God? And in every marital blessing and every marital destruction, you will find who that couple has made king. Me and my wife are polar opposites. We always say this. Wendy will tell you, if I didn't love Hunter Jones so much, I'd dislike him, right? And so you know what keeps us together? It's not looks, it's not fun, it's not kids, it's Jesus. Because there's going to be a day where Hunter gives Wendy every reason to leave and Wendy gives Hunter every reason to leave. That woman who I love so much in the nursery is not enough, and neither am I. And so you better have something. And you know what that glue is? It's called Christ. And so you dig and go, hey, you guys seem like y'all have a good marriage. Why? Jesus. Look at money. Jesus. Look at kids. Jesus. Look at family. Jesus. Look at mind. Jesus. Dig. Dig, church. Every blessing and every destruction is rooted in who is first. Every destruction and every blessing is rooted in who is first. You know how we know it? Don't forget the moment. You know how we know it? Do not forget the moment. What's happening in Exodus 20? We said it last week. I mean, I don't really think adultery is probably a huge issue in Exodus 20. They're homeless. Like, there wasn't a lot of people looking at one another going, hey, I wish I had Jerry's car. I'm jealous of his home. His kid is so much well-mannered more than mine are. None of that stuff's happening. And still, God chooses to walk in that space and speak about what is most important, and that is him being king. When anything, man, my mind is simple, church. I need bold statements. When anything comes before the Lord, destruction will follow. That is not an Old Testament truth. That is a biblical truth. Write it down. Pause the moment. When anything comes before the Lord... Look behind your shoulder because destruction will follow it. And so we said for the last two weeks, please hang. We said for the last two weeks that the closer we get to God, the more we realize we need His Son. So the more that I'm in his word, the more that I'm serving his bride, the more that I'm giving and I'm reading and I'm learning, the more that I'm striving in obedience and faith. Do you know what I realize? for my striving in perfection? I realize that it is impossible and I need a way. And that way is called what? Christ. But the opposite applies as well. When God is not first in our life, when we are not close to the Lord, when other things stand in the way, do you know what happens? We start to feel that we do not need Jesus. When we worship other gods, when we come to other altars and we are not chasing after the obedient word and command of the Lord, we start to realize that we don't need Jesus. Here's a scary truth, and I am glad we're cooking fish and I am glad we're doing this, but God put on my heart, I almost wish that they could come in right now and we could burn it all, right? If it it overcooks, it'd be worth all of these men hearing it. Here's a scary truth that I need you to hang on to. There's a high number in my life as well that are sitting in this church today that are in great danger. And that is not a scary statement. That is a true one. There are so many in this church that your marriage is in great danger. Your family's in danger. Your mind, your heart, your life, your purpose is in great danger. So many of us are in love with the world. And like Pharaoh, what did Pharaoh do every morning? Do you remember? As God crushed his idols, what did he do? He made his coffin, he came out to the water's edge in his bathroom, and he sang to his gods, right? And God told Moses to meet Pharaoh where? At his altar. And for so many of us, we don't live in the old days where you kind of hid your idol worship. But in today's time where social media is prevalent, man, you post it for the world to see it. Like it doesn't even take a long time. You don't even have to look very far to know what people love most in their life. You give me 10 minutes on your Facebook page and I can tell you who your king is. And so what does that destroy Not just your family and your ministry and your money. It destroys your purpose. Why are you alive today? Don't drown me out. Why are you alive today? Because God chose for you to be alive today. What is your purpose today? To honor God, to bring glory to his name and to make disciples. That is the only reason you live. I don't care about your business or your upcoming plans or your hobbies. Those are icing on the cake. And even those are just a path to doing all of that. And so when you love other gods and when you worship idols, but then you speak to the people about following Jesus, everyone is confused. When you stand before believers and your kids, this is where the ugly text will come in that I'll receive at an hour after service. When you stand before your kids and go, yeah, Jesus is first, but then you live like he's ninth? Man, that, that confuses even the infants. And so we have Sunday school teachers, and we have leaders, and we have moms, and we have dads, and we have leaders in our community talking about Jesus being king when the community obviously knows he's not. When God is not king, destruction will follow. How often? Every time. Every time. Hunter, I want to fix my marriage. Make Jesus king. Hunter, I need help in parenting. Make Jesus king. I want financial peace. Make Jesus king. You know, a scary reality for so many of us in the midst, we don't have a recession issue. No. So many of us weren't faithful when they were giving us money, Right? Well, I can't give right now. Things are so high. They were mailing us free money and we weren't faithful. (laughs) Don't lie to yourself or me. So many of us want financial peace. And here's the thing, you'll never experience it because God is not the God of your money. Same with every aspect of your life. And God goes, I'm about to talk about everything. I'm about to talk about relationships and, 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 and life and decisions. and I'm talking about to talk about everything. And the one thing that you need to hear most is keep me king. Keep me first. Because every aspect of life will flow through that channel. Every blessing will be connected to it. And every sense of destruction will follow it. And in placing God anywhere but first, we've invited destruction to touch and to break everything that we care most about. You know, that's one of those weights, and I've preached this sermon many times. That's one of those weights as a dad and as as a pastor. Man, it stops me in my tracks of like, man, to stand before the Lord and know that I invited destruction to the things that I care the most about. That, man, like, I hope my kids, man, I hope that they have a good life, and I hope they enjoy, I hope they conquer, man. Like, I hope they get married to a sweet, pretty girl, a nice guy. And I I hope those things, right? Like, I hope for all stars and funny times in the beach. Like, I'm not against it, right? But more than anything, I want my kids to know Jesus. And I want them to be godly men and God-fearing women more than anything. I want them to serve the church, And to lead their children and my future grandchildren to Jesus. That's what I want most. That's what we should all want most. And to realize in my life that I've ever put other gods in their path that actually prevented it? To find out that I actually made their road harder? Because I put false gods and idols and stumbling blocks in front of my wife and my kids and you. And you. I'm going to give an account one day for you to ever find out I did such a thing. Chris Hunley read Ecclesiastes 2. Flipping your Bible to 1 Kings, I told you to put a tassel. If you didn't do so, um, (laughs) I really want you to do so, okay? There's a lot of hard words to pronounce, and if you don't look at it for yourself, you'll think I'm doing it correctly. Chris read Ecclesiastes 2, and um, just to be honest, just out of preference, um, outside of the gospel, Ecclesiastes is by far my favorite text in all of God's Word. I just... I think it is just the heaviest, greatest word of, of the meaning of life. I've read it a million times. I preached it at my mom's funeral. I've, I've, I've spoken of Ecclesiastes 2 in countless occasions. And in Ecclesiastes 2, this is older Solomon that's about to die. In 1 Kings, he's older, but in Ecclesiastes, he has days to weeks to months to live. And in his wisdom, he's experienced church. He, he understands now. He is tested. He has been tested. He has seen with his own eyes. King Solomon, the, the son of King David, he's experienced destruction in his own ways. I really want to, to slow down this message because I think this is so heavy and so um, overwhelmingly helpful that I really want you to see God's word in 1 Kings, this is when Solomon falls, okay? And so I have spent a lot of time in 1 Kings, I believe, don't hold me to it, four or five, where, where God comes to Solomon. Solomon's a young man. His father, has passed. There's a lot on his shoulders. And what does Solomon ask for when God says, I'll give you what you choose, right? What does Solomon ask for? I'm asking you. Wisdom, right? And what does God do? He gives it to him. And he says, outside of my son, from a human perspective, there is nobody that will ever walk this earth richer or wiser than you. So that's who we're dealing with in Solomon. And then in Ecclesiastes, what my brother Chris read to you was that going after anything in this world is grasping for the wind, but I have not spent much time in 1 Kings 11 on his actual fall. So hang with me in these 13 verses, please, okay? I think this is fascinating to man today. But King Solomon, he loved many foreign women. He loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Mobites and Ammonites and Edomites and Sidonians and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, highlighted. You shall not intermarry with them, nor with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their, what church? Gods. Solomon clung to these loves though. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Will you highlight four? Four. For it was so when Solomon was old, and his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David's was. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom the abominations, abominations of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember this, church. How could one man fall? This is the young man that has been blessed by God in in uncanny ways. God says, no one will be wiser than you. He has seen the Lord in a dream. He has been blessed and fortunate. And what does Solomon do? Solomon falls. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord as his father did. Then Solomon built a high place at Chemosh, the the Abanath. Abomination of Moab. I practice like a hundred words, and I keep getting stuck on that one word. Abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. And for the Molech, the, the ab- <laughs> abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for the foreign wives who burned incense and in sacrificed to their gods. We highlight Nine. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, Highlight, church, be active. Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear down your kingdom away from you and give it to your servants. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. Hang, please, church. For the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of your hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Please hear me, church. Solomon, a real man in real time, king, wise and rich, had unmatched wisdom and riches. He was blessed by God Heard from God in a dream, he was given instruction, and no amount of wisdom that man possessed, he could still not balance two kings. Solomon was wiser than you, he was craftier than you, he was more experienced than you, he was richer and wiser than all of you, and that man could not balance two gods. He was given instruction, and what was that instruction? Don't go after those women, right? Why? Do not go after those women because those women that you're going to run after, because that is where your heart and your lust and your flesh is, those women do not love me. And when you run after those women, you know what's going to trail it? Your heart. And you know what's going to trail your heart? Your worship. And you know what's going to trail your worship? Destruction. It's spiritual common sense. You run after someone who does not love the Lord, you become like them. And Solomon says, listen, if anybody can pull it off, it's the richest guy around. It's the wisest guy around. And he fell. And not only did he fall, but his son felt the repercussions of it. The destruction destroyed him and his family. You don't have to flip. I just want you to hear it. This is from Leviticus chapter 26. And the Lord says, And after all of this, if you do not obey me and my commands, but you walk contrary to what I've told you, there will be destruction. Then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I want you to hear this. I will destroy your high places. I will cut down your incense altars. I will cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. Who have you given your heart to, church? Who have you given your heart to? You sit here, and this is a heavy message. It always is. It crushes people and encourages people once in the the same. And you go, Hunter, I know that I'm not perfect, but I don't know who my gods are. It's not hard to assess it. Who has your heart? If you're a note taker, if you want to assess these idols that you need to put to death, who gets the best of you? Answer, who gets my best? Who brings out my greatest excitement and my desire? Like like when you look at your kids, mom and dad, what do you want most for them? I know you know the right answer, but what do you want most? What do you want most with your life and your wealth and your, your gifts? What do you want most? Who are you willing to sacrifice most for? Who do you fight for? What do you battle for? You know, I was thinking about this. As I said, I've I've preached this message in some form or fashion many times. And I've had these conversations with many people in life. Being a pastor and a father and a husband, I've had to step into many people's circle and speak hard truths. And I used to think, because usually those conversations don't go very well. When you step in that circle with someone and you say there's something that I want to speak to you about, it is your life, it is who your God is, it is what your priorities are, nine out of ten times they don't go well. Why? Because we love our idols, we worship our idols, and because we're defensive people. And so we get to the space of Hunter Jones, who in the world do you think you are to tell me fill in the blank, right? I've been in those conversations many times. And I used to think to myself... I said, well, I understand why they get so angry, because they're defensive, right? Like, do you like it? Like, if I was to come into your life and go, listen, let me me talk to you about your life choices. You get defensive, right? But no, that's too simple. It's not life decisions that you battle for and rage war against. It's not life choices that you get defensive on. You're not upset because... God's word or your pastor or your friend or your parent talks about life decisions. No, no, no. You rage war because you feel like we're attacking your God. You don't care about your life decisions. That's too easy. That's too simple. It is your God that you're loyal to, and that's what makes you angry. So there's a lot of things that Hunter Jones likes that if you came against, I would just turn the cheek. You know something that really makes my heart beat every single day, and you're going to laugh, but I'm not joking? I love coffee. I love it. Every inch of it. If it was a cologne, I'd wear it, right? I'm a huge fan of the whole business, okay? And you know when you see a long-lost friend, and you're like, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. Like, tell me about your wife and your kids and your life. Just tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me Show me pictures. I do that every morning. Every morning, I just say, I missed you, Right? But if you come to me and you go, hey, man, I heard how much you like coffee. Well, did you know of, you know, the, the prices on coffee are tensfold. It's a waste of money. You're going to go broke buying it. It makes your teeth yellow. It hurts your heart. It's not good for you. You know what I would say? I'm like, well, don't drink coffee. And I'd be on my way. I keep drinking coffee, right? Because I don't care. It's not my God. But, man, if you came in, I want you to imagine your heart. If someone came into your workplace, your house, or this church, and let's say they started tearing the name of Jesus down. Think about it. I'm talking like vulgarly. They came mad like, you're a bunch of ridiculous faith-believing, believing in fairy tales. There is no God. There is no heaven. Just smashing the name of Christ. What would your heart do? Look, I'm ready to fight. This isn't coffee. Like You're speaking about my God. Man doesn't get defensive because coffee issues. It's because you're attacking their gods. That's why we get angry. That's why we get defensive. Because you have addressed what I worship. For some of you, you worship the mighty dollar. And you worship your children. And you worship your addictions. And you worship your money. And you worship your career and your hobby and your folks and your family Idols can be anything. Even the sweetest of blessings can be heavy weights around your neck. The sweetest of blessings can be the weightiest weights around your neck. The greatest thing that I will ever do for my wife is to place her second. The greatest way for me to love my children is to place them second. The people and things of this life will only flourish when they're placed after the Lord. you hear me? The only way, any aspect, anything you care about will flourish. Even this church. This church isn't about good music, isn't about a good speaker, isn't about fun or youth groups or none of those things. It is all about honoring God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And if that ever flips, if that ever turns, the church even itself will not flourish. God is our greatest investment. God is our greatest investment. And what scares me is that so many people will live their lives putting everything we have on things that will never bless them. You hear me? For so many of you, you will put all your chips in on things that will never pay dividends like the Lord. God doesn't provide because there's not a faithful need of his provisions for so many of us. To be faithful, to place God first, not worshiping other gods, pouring in our gifts, primary, transforms our lives. So this is how we close. As I said to you, I've, preached this message many times and you know the crazy thing please hang on it don't don't drift off on me okay the crazy thing about the whole make god king make him first here's what blows my mind about these messages these messages are always extremely heavy but to my surprise they're not always life-changing isn't it crazy (laughs) Like it just it blows my mind. It discourages me greatly as a pastor. Like it blows my mind that like I'd be shocked if any of you are going to disagree with me. You might be offended or angry or think I'm talking about you, which I'm not. But it'd be hard for anybody to find me in my office and go, "Hey, I think God is good." Number three, bronze isn't that bad. Most of you are going to be like, "I know, I know, I know." Destruction is following me. But this is the crazy thing about these messages. They're heavy and convicting, but they're not always life-changing. Look at Solomon. Solomon heard, he experienced not just a simple sermon, but literally the voice of God. He still chased the world. So what's the difference of you and Solomon? So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. This is something I haven't done before. And if you have to go back to YouTube or social media to hear the sermon again, to take notes, do it, okay? But I want to challenge you concerning the gods in your life and how to put them to death. First and foremost, be honest with yourself and identify the God in your life. What has my heart, I want you to write it down. I want you to get a piece of paper. I want you to tell your spouse. I want you to tell a friend. I want you to tell me. I want you to be honest. You are doing nothing but drowning. Be transparent and say, this is the God in my life. Write it down. Identify it. Now, when you identify that God, this is the only hope we have. Stand it next to Exodus 21. 21. Whatever your God is, if it is your child, if it is your husband, if it is your money, if it is your hobby, if it is your career, if it is your friends, whatever your idol is, if it is a concept of power or status or some foolish popularity that you run after, write it down and put it right next to chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Your children, your money, your career will never set you free. Ever. I love my children to the point of tears. They will never save my soul. And if I ever love my children more than the Lord, I will actually bring destruction to them. Raise them to love the Lord more than anything in this life. Your money is fleeting. You know how I know that? I've met too many poor people in big homes. And I don't care what you drive, what clothes you wear, we're all going to the same destination, hopefully. Crush those idols. Kill those gods that are not the Lord. Stand them next to chapter 20, verse 1. Stand them next to the cross. In John, in which we've read it many times, and Brad taught on this at his Friday morning Bible study, when Jesus prays for you and I, when he's going to the cross and he prays for his disciples and he prays for the people, he prays for you and I in the future, he goes, I just want them to be with me. Nobody, no thing, no possession will ever pray and love you like Jesus Christ. Your other idols will not save you nor will they love you like King Jesus and then stare how small and ridiculous your idols looks towards standing next to Christ. Now go out, stop being convicted, stop being sorrowful, and repent. God is better than these idols, and Jesus is the way past them. God is better, and Jesus is the way past them. So as I said, the only hope we have, it is not in a convicting message. You're all going to agree with it. You're all going to be convicted. You're all going to go, I know. Write it down. Stand it next to the cross and put them to death. Start saying no to the things that you need to say no to. Yes to the things that you need to say yes to. Focus on faith. Focus on priority and God will bless. Build a new foundation. Build a new foundation. Don't be just a hearer of the word, but a doer. As we close here, right now we're actually going to close. I want to read you one little snippet what my brother Chris read. I thought this was a good ending. So Solomon passed 1 Kings. Past 1 Kings, he's an older man, he is about to die. He has tested if happiness is even possible outside the Lord. He has failed, he has tried every avenue. Money didn't work, riches didn't work, women didn't work, fame didn't work, career didn't work, home didn't work, friends didn't work. Listen, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure For my heart rejoiced in all that I had labored, and this was my reward for all of it. And then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all of it was vanity. All of it was vanity. It was grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Everything is important, but nothing else matters. Do you hear me? That is it. All chips on Christ. There is going to be a day we stand before the Lord and he does not care about your career. He does not care if your kid made all stars. He does not care about how big your home is. He doesn't care how much you have in your savings account. Please, I beg and I plead you, they are going to drown you. All of you. You are not Solomon. And he failed. Put him to death. It is the only hope your marriage, your friends, your faith, your mind, your spirit has. And God will bless. As we pray here, I'm going to pray that only at least one person hears. As we pray, I want you to pray God, show me my idols. If you don't know them already, Make them obvious. Make them aware. And instead of me being defensive, instead of me fighting, instead of me raging war, let me put them to death. Why? Because they are not as good as you. They are not as good as you. God is better. Jesus is the way. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray I give you all the glory if even one person heard this. Lord, there is no judgment that comes out of my mouth. I've worshipped every God under the sun. I'm at the front of the line. I've worshipped kids. I've worshipped hobbies. I've worshipped money. I've worshipped status. I've worshipped desires. I've worshipped all of it. And all of it was meaningless. Meaningless. Lord, what breaks my heart is there is going to be so many people that hear this today and they're going to run right back to it. They're not going to change anything. And it's crushing. And they're going to look at me and they're going to say, good, good sermon, Pastor. And they're going to go right back to their gods. Lord, crush their idols. Lord, give them the faith and the obedience to do so before you do. Lord, I don't want destruction for my boys, and I don't want destruction for my girls and my wife, and I don't want it. Let us put to death those things that are not worthy to be praised. You are the God who brought freedom and salvation, glory, and is the only one worthy of praise. Let us put to death those things that do not fit that. And let us do it soon. Lord, if someone is sitting here, because this is where salvation starts, if someone's sitting here saying, I don't have idols, I, I'm not even saved, I don't know the Jesus that you speak of, the same is founded even in salvation. The moment you put to death this world and you know that you need Christ and he is primary, that's salvation. That's salvation. So, Lord, I pray that we are saved today. If someone does not know you, let today be the day. Continue to walk, continue to convict, continue to secure, continue to restore. In your precious and your holy name, the church says in harmony, amen.